Good morning, church family. For it's wonderful to see all of you here today, as we will once again be back in the Gospel of Mark this morning, looking specifically today at Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 65, or when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ goes before the Jewish council, which all took place following Jesus Christ, after praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, found then three of his disciples, those three disciples being Peter and James and John, verse 37, sleeping, to which Jesus Christ then said to Simon Peter, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. To which Jesus Christ then, as we go on to see in verses 39 through 41, went away and prayed, saying the same words. And he again came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners." And that immediately then, while Jesus Christ was still speaking, verse 43, Judas Iscariot came, who was one of Jesus' twelve disciples, and that with him at this time was a crowd of people with swords and with clubs, from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, a.k.a. from the Sanhedrin church, or from the Jewish high court here church. And that when Judas Iscariot came, verse 45, He went up to Jesus Christ at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Since, as we all saw back in verse 44, Judas Iscariot had given this crowd a sign. That sign being that the one I kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. Therefore, after kissing Jesus Christ, this crowd seemingly made up of temple guards and Roman soldiers, for they then, verse 46, laid hands on Jesus Christ and seized him, to which Simon Peter then drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear, a man by the name of Malchus, as John chapter 18 notes, only for Jesus Christ then to say to Simon Peter, And apparently to the rest of his disciples, as Luke chapter 22 puts it, no more of this. And he then touched Malchus's ear, and he healed him. Nevertheless, as we go on to see in Mark chapter 14, verses 48 and 49, that following the servant of the high priest having his ear cut off, that Jesus Christ then said to the crowd, For have you come out as against a robber, with swords and with clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Only for the rest of Jesus' disciples then, verse 50, to all leave him and to flee from him, just as Jesus Christ said they would do back in Mark chapter 14, verse 27. And not only that, but as we go on to see in verses 51 and 52, that a young man followed Jesus with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. The author of the Gospel of Mark, John Mark, for he seemingly includes this rather 
unique little narrative about this young man in his gospel in order to showcase to his readers here in essence the totality of the abandonment that Jesus Christ ultimately faced, being that Jesus Christ had now at this time been abandoned, deserted, and left all alone with only that of his captors here. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, church, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Jesus affirmed that he was the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, and he was condemned as deserving of death because of it. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this, church. Jesus affirmed that he was the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, and he was condemned as deserving of death because of it. And thus at this time, let's open our Bibles up this morning, church, to Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 65. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you, as our gift to you this morning. Because trust me, we want you to have and to be reading your very own copy of the Word of God. Which you can start doing today by turning that brand new Bible of yours to page 851. And by joining us as we as a church family hear the word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Mark chapter 14 this morning, church. Looking specifically at verses 53 through 65. Where John Mark, the author of the gospel of Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes... And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands." Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him 
with blows. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are taken back right now listening to the words and to the suffering that your Son, Jesus Christ, bore on our behalf. The one who was perfectly innocent, who knew no sin, and yet is being falsely accused and lied about here, and yet in his nobleness and in his humility keeps his mouth silent until given the opportunity in front of Caiaphas himself to share the truth. Father, we are in awe of this testimony by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today. Father, I pray that we learn much from it. Lord, open the eyes and the ears of this dear congregation this morning. Let their hearts and their minds be receptive to your word as they see these beautiful actions by their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning. And Father, I pray that you help my lisping and my stammering tongue this week as well. Father, use me this morning to build up this dear flock, to give them exactly what they need. Lord, to encourage them in your word so that your spirit, Father, can convict them this morning and drive them closer to your son, Jesus Christ. Help me in this endeavor, I pray. Father, grow us through this sermon this morning, I pray, in meekness and grow us in boldness to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this, point number one. Even though many false testimonies were made against Jesus Christ, he fulfilled the scriptures and opened not his mouth. Again, point number one, even though many false testimonies were made against Jesus Christ, he fulfilled the scriptures and opened not his mouth. Verses 53 through 61 which reads, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? So following the crowd, again seemingly made up of temple guards 
and Roman soldiers coming out to Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, all likely after midnight, mind you, church, and laying hands on him, seizing him, and arresting him. For they then, this band of soldiers here, lead Jesus Christ first, as we see in John chapter 18 to Annas, who was the father-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas. In short, Jesus Christ, after being arrested, was taken first before a former high priest named Annas, who was the father-in-law of the current high priest Caiaphas, and who still must have had some kind of power and some kind of influence at this time. Nevertheless, after the initial hearing with Annas was over, whereby Annas apparently questioned Jesus Christ, For Jesus Christ then, as we see in Mark chapter 14, verse 53, was led to the high priest Caiaphas. And that, verse 53, all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And that Jesus Christ was seemingly taken here, church, to the house or to the palace of the high priest Caiaphas, where all the members of the Sanhedrin, or all the members of the Jewish high court, which would have likely been 70 council members in total, in addition to Caiaphas, all came together for Jesus' trial at this time, however informal it may have been. And yet while all this was taking place, Simon Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, for he then followed Jesus Christ, At a distance, verse 54, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Simon Peter, still trying to remain faithful to Jesus Christ here, just like he said he would do back in Mark chapter 14, verse 29, when he declared that even though they all fall away, for I, Simon Peter, will not. And thus with it now known that Simon Peter was currently located in the courtyard of the high priest and warming himself up by the fire. For the author of the Gospel of Mark, John Mark, for he then transitions his attention back to Jesus Christ. And writes, as we see in verse 55, Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death but they found none. And what's so important to grasp here, church, is that the chief priest and the whole council of the Sanhedrin, for they were not seeking the truth here, church, nor were they seeking the facts here, church, nor were they seeking justice or accuracy or honesty or trying to figure out if Jesus Christ really was guilty or not guilty here, church. But instead, the chief priests and the whole council of the Sanhedrin were seeking testimony against Jesus Christ in order, verse 55, to put him to death here, church. Or as Walter Wessel explains it, for witnesses were sought not to determine if Jesus Christ deserved death or not, but instead to justify and to support their predetermined decision to put Jesus to death. Therefore, while the charge had not yet been determined, the verdict most assuredly had. To which you might be sitting there this morning, church, thinking, well, that does not seem real lawful, or that that does not seem real fair, 
or that that does not seem real just or permissible or legal or right. And in all honesty, those would all be pretty fair thoughts to have at this time, church, since the Sanhedrin were very likely, as James Edward puts it, just sidestepping procedures here and breaking the law egregiously at points here, all in order to just expedite Jesus' execution here. And yet, although the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus Christ, all in order to put him to death, for they, verse 55, found none. Since verse 56, many bore false witness against Jesus Christ, but their testimony did not agree. And that you had many people here, church, testifying falsely and telling lies against Jesus Christ, but that their testimony and their lies were not in harmony with each other, nor in accord with each other. Whereas some even stood up and bore false witness against Jesus Christ by saying, verse 58, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Apparently referring here to when Jesus Christ in John chapter 2 said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. But as we go on to see in John chapter 2, for Jesus Christ was not referring to the temple in Jerusalem there, but instead to that of his own body. Nevertheless, even about that, verse 58, their testimony, it did not agree. And thus being, as Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6 puts it, that on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death, but that a person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. For the chief priest and the Sanhedrin then, church, according to the Mosaic law, For they needed at least two witnesses giving consistent and compatible testimonies in order to be able to render a guilty verdict for capital punishment here. And thus following then all these people giving their false and their inconsistent testimonies against Jesus Christ, which did not agree with each other nor were in harmony with each other, For the high priest of the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas then, verse 60, stood up in the midst. Or as the CSB puts it, stood up before them all. And he asked Jesus Christ then, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? To which he, Jesus Christ then, as we go on to see in verse 61, remained silent and made no answer, which was a fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah's words from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, which reads, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Nevertheless, And very practically speaking here, church, for the late Reverend John Henry Byrne, for he wrote this, for I have often repented for having spoken, but I have not yet been sorry for having kept silent, so a friend of mine once said. 
Now make no mistake about it, for there are occasions when duty bids a man, man to speak up, when unless he flings all fear of consequences to the wind and utters words on behalf of the truth, he will show himself to be a coward. And there are times as well when it is the privilege of a man to soothe anxiety and to comfort those in sorrow. However, in spite of those instances and some others as well, silence frequently is wiser and no less effective than speech. For Jesus Christ calmly and silently stood before the fuming high priest and has been confessed throughout all the ages of the, as the nobler of the two. And although almost everyone at times encounters abuse and has bitter accusations thrown at them, for to listen in silence not only is oftentimes better evidence that one possesses control of their temper, but also, more often than not, is a more effective way of disarming an angry adversary as well. And thus again, just to reiterate what the late Reverend John Henry Byrne just alluded to, for I am not saying here, church, that we as Christians should not speak up when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is being defamed. Nor am I saying that we as Christians should not speak out against the lies of the evil one. Nor am I saying that we as Christians should not verbally defend that of the least of these. But instead, what I am trying to get at here is that if you are like me, brother Christian, sister Christian, and you struggle at times with the sin of unrighteous fits of anger and unholy outburst of rage and an unruly tongue that far too often gets the best of you, that when false accusations and untrue statements and slanderous attacks do indeed come your way, Christian, that instead of flying off the rails and repaying evil for evil, and shooting your mouth off, writing something nasty about someone on social media, or saying something unkind to the person who attacked you all in order to try to get even with them, to instead, brother Christian, sister Christian, seek to remain calm, to control your own tongue, and to know that it is often the wisest and noblest thing to do, as previously mentioned, to just seek to initially listen in silence. Since as the Word of God makes clear in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, for when words are many, sin is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body as we interact with each other and with all those around us in this world today, that we seek to be calm, to control our own tongues, to be self-controlled, and to follow the words of Jesus' brother James here as well, who wrote in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, for let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, since the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Which brings us to point number two. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Blessed. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, verses 61 through 65. But he remained silent and made no answer. 
Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. So after the high priest of the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas, stood up and said to Jesus Christ in verse 60, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? And Jesus Christ then in verse 61 remained silent. For Caiaphas then asked Jesus Christ in verse 61, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And in essence, asking Jesus Christ, Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? To which Jesus Christ then doesn't try to dodge the high priest question here, or to try to wiggle his way out of the high priest question here, or to try to evade, elude, not answer, or talk his way around the high priest question here. But instead, Jesus Christ, he breaks his silence and boldly affirms in verse 62 that I am the Christ the Son of the Blessed here. And not only that, but he, Jesus Christ also then, goes on to state in verse 62, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus Christ alluding here, as Mark Strauss explains it, to two Old Testament passages, whereas sitting at the right hand of power alludes to Psalm 110.1 which is used throughout the New Testament to describe Jesus' exaltation and vindication at God's right hand. And where the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven alludes to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where one like a Son of Man, that is a human being, comes before the Ancient of Days, God himself, and is given an eternal kingdom and is worshipped by all the nations of the world. And thus Jesus Christ is essentially saying here, yes, I am the Messiah, and although I am standing before you on trial right now, one day you will stand before me. Or as Daniel Aiken puts it, today I, Jesus Christ, stand before you, but there is a day coming when you will stand before me in judgment, for a great reversal is coming. To which after hearing all this, The high priest Caiaphas then, verse 63, tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? Verse 64, you have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? To which they all then, church, the council of the Sanhedrin here, condemned Jesus Christ as deserving death. And then as we go on to see in verse 65 that some members of the Sanhedrin began to spit on Jesus Christ, cover his face and strike Jesus Christ and say to Jesus Christ, prophesy, or as Matthew 26, 68 put it, 
prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Only for the temple guards then, church, to receive Jesus Christ, verse 65, with blows. And that the guards then, church, slapped Jesus Christ, beat Jesus Christ, and struck Jesus Christ with the palms of their hands, all while they took Jesus Christ away, as the New Living Translation put it. Nevertheless, as we wrap up point number two this morning, church, for I just want to leave you all here with this. For not only did this man named Jesus, who we have been reading about and learning about and studying for almost two years now in the Gospel of Mark, calm the storm and walk on water, and feed the 5,000, feed the 4,000, raise Jairus' daughter up from the dead, and do the type of things that only God himself could do. But this Jesus also then, before the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, when asked point blank if he was the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, for this Jesus then affirmed that he was. And thus, if this Jesus then unequivocally affirmed that he was the Messiah, the Son of God? Well, then, as one commentator put it, our estimation of Jesus Christ, then, should be no less than Jesus' own estimation of himself. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, for I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first, and to share with you at this time, non-Christian, exactly what this man named Jesus Christ accomplished some 2,000 years ago. That being that this Messiah, Jesus Christ, for he broke into this world, non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man, to live and to dwell amongst us and to save us from our sins by initially living a life here on earth, non-Christian, that was free from any kind of sin. And that the life that Jesus Christ lived, while he lived and dwelt among us, was a life that was holy and just and righteous and good. Meaning that he, Jesus Christ then, fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense. And he did it, non-Christian, all for the very children of God. However, keeping the law of God, all for the very children of God, for that was not all that this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because Jesus Christ also then, non-Christian, gave his life up as a ransom for many by being pierced and crucified, killed and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned. And in doing so, satisfied the justice of our holy God and appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children as well. And thus, because of all that, three days later then, this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, For he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, 
that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, For as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, for I'd like to do so in light of verse 62. Or in essence, when Jesus Christ clearly and boldly and unequivocally bore witness to the truth by speaking up, speaking out, and declaring that he was indeed the Christ, the Son of God. Because as Hans Bayer so accurately put it in light of our entire passage today. For although Jesus' life, his demeanor, and his speech were all encompassed by humility, nevertheless, at his final trial, he still disclosed himself truthfully and plainly as the one he truly is. And thus, by his example, disciples of Jesus Christ grow not only in true and robust humility, but also in courageous witness, even in the midst of false accusations, insults, and persecution. For they remain true to their master, true to themselves as Christ followers, and true to their calling as well. David James Burrell, in his book, A Quiver of Arrows, For he wrote this, that in the early 1500s, there were two monks named Martin. The first, Martin Basil, was convinced of the truth of the gospel, but he hesitated to proclaim it, for he wrote this confession on a piece of parchment. O merciful Christ, I know that I can be saved only by the merit of thy blood, Holy Jesus, I acknowledge thy sufferings for me. I love thee. I love thee. Then he removed a stone from the wall of his chamber and deposited his confession there. And it was discovered a hundred years later. Meanwhile, no one knew that Martin Basil had found Jesus Christ. But at the same time, there was another monk named Martin Luther who also saw clearly from the scriptures the doctrine of justification by faith. And he did not fear to confess that truth. For he said, My Lord has confessed me before men, and I will not shrink to confess him before kings. And the world, it was unchanged by Martin Basil. But by God's grace, the world was transformed by Martin Luther. And thus, although there are times, church, when it is wiser to hold your tongue and to initially just remain silent before your accusers, for there are also times, church, make no mistake about it, 
to boldly share the truth and to bear witness to the truth and proclaim the truth, declare the truth, and confess the truth to those who accuse you as well. Even if that means persecution, insult, hostility, and pain will most assuredly come your way. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body not only be thoughtful and careful and wise as we try to discern when to hold our tongues and when to boldly speak the truth, but that we also then, when we do indeed discern that now is the time to speak up and to acknowledge and to profess Jesus Christ before men and to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, that we do not in those moments merely remain silent, but that we instead boldly and courageously, bravely and fearlessly, eagerly and unashamedly, clearly and confidently bear witness to the truth. Because our call to this world, brother Christian, sister Christian, is not to hide the truth or to deny the truth or to keep the truth all to ourselves, all while knowing full well that the falsehoods that are out there today are dragging people into the depths of hell forever. But instead, it is to be tellers of the truth, proclaimers of the gospel, and to always be prepared to give a defense to anyone that asks for the reason, for the hope that is in you. And thus, when you are asked, brother Christian, sister Christian, by your mother or your father, your sister or your brother, by an acquaintance or a co-worker, believer or unbeliever, Muslim or Buddhist, friend or foe, antagonist or atheist, if Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, for do not in those moments, Christian, remain silent, hold your tongue, and begin to dance around that question, or tiptoe around that question, or say, I don't know to that question, or try to avoid answering that question, but instead boldly and unequivocally, clearly and unreservedly, plainly and unashamedly, explicitly and unapologetically be a teller of the truth and tell them exactly who this man named Jesus truly is, that being the Christ the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one who died for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and who will come again to judge the living and the dead and be willing to speak up, speak out, and to bear witness to that truth, Christian, no matter what kind of persecution may ultimately come your way. Since as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ made clear in Matthew chapter 5, For blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body discern well when to hold our tongues and when to boldly share the truth before others. And thus give us the wisdom we need, Father, to know when to remain silent and to calmly listen, also that we do not fly off the rails into a fit of rage and be unwise in the way we act toward outsiders, and also give us the wisdom we need, Father, to know when to step into that moment with fearlessness and courage, bravery and strength, and to clearly articulate the truth of your word and the truth of the gospel even to those who might revile us. 
Forgive us the grace we need, Father, to grow in meekness and in boldness, humility and in courageousness, gentleness and in fearlessness, faithfulness and in Christ-likeness, all so that we can better day by day by day, Father, bring glory to you in all that we do and in every situation that we may ultimately face. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord, what an ask we are coming with this morning. Help us, Lord, to grow in humility and in boldness, gentleness and in bravery before others. As we go out into this world, into a hostile place, that reviles us, that hates us, that will bring accusations against us. And yet let us not be quick to repay their evil with evil. Let us be quick to hold our tongues. We have been called to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And yet, Father, when the time is right, oh, let us stand for that moment. Let us speak into that moment and to boldly testify the truth of the gospel and to never be ashamed of that truth. Father, we need your help to discern those moments. Help us, Father, because we ultimately desire to please and to glorify you in all that we do. Lord, let us be wise. Let us be gripped by your spirit in all that we do so that we can bring glory to your son and be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.